Perhaps you remember Louis Grizzard. He was a writer for the Atlanta Constitutional Journal, Journal Constitution, and, and he was a Southern humorist. He wrote such memorable titles as Elvis is Dead and I'm Not Feeling So Well Myself, Shoot Low Boys, They're Riding Shetland Ponies. Lewis used to tell an off-color and irreverent story about a fellow who found the wherewithal to confess his sins at the conclusion of a revival meeting. I listened to that story only once because someone gave me a recording of it and I listened before I knew it was so irreverent and off-color. But having listened, I cannot forget the story. And so I summarize it for you. The sinner in question came forward on the 23rd stanza of Justice I Am. <laughs> the preacher asked if he had something to confess, and he did. It was a minor offense to which one of the brethren in the congregation responded, Tell it all, brother, tell it all. Well, this emboldened the repentant sinner, and he confessed something a bit more serious, to which the man in the congregation again said, Tell it all, brother, tell it all. And this lasted for several minutes, the sinner divulging uh, unsavory details of his less-than-honorable life, and the good brother in the congregation urging him on, Tell it all, brother, tell it all. It went on until the fellow finally owned up to having done something that was truly against all the norms of respectable behavior, to which the brother responded, expletive deleted, Brother, I don't, I don't believe I would have told that. <laughs> Confession is tricky business, isn't it? I'm reminded of another story of a fellow who came forward at the end of a very high brow service in a very liturgically correct church, and he made a great spectacle of his confession of his wayward ways. This prim and proper congregation was befuddled by this man, but they managed to cope with his outburst reasonably well the first Sunday. But then he came back the second Sunday, did the same thing, and the third Sunday came back the same spectacle. By the fourth Sunday, they had seen and heard too much. And so they insisted that the preacher do something about this man, which he did. When the sinner finished his overwrought contortions of contrition, the preacher said to him in the presence of the whole congregation, Friend, you are welcome here. But you need to know, you need to understand that in this church, we confess in the same way that we sin, discreetly and in good taste. <laughs> Scripture urges us to confess, to confess to one another. It assures us that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. The question, of course, is how to do that. Is reciting a confession along with a congregation, does that count? Is it necessary to confess to a religious authority? What about being part of some accountability group where confession is the norm? Is it enough to confess to God alone? 
John, I think, would say that all of these are good, and yet he would urge us to go even farther, to live a transparent life, to live in a perpetual state of openness in which our deeds are consciously visible. Now understand me here, this is not to say that there should be no privacy. All of us deserve privacy, and anyone who would try to invade that privacy is abusing us. We're not talking about privacy, we're talking about secrecy, and there is a difference. To live the transparent life is to live in the light. And John says that those who do the truth are eager to live in the light so that their deeds may be seen to be done in God. Those who live in the light fulfill the words of Jesus in Matthew 5:16. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Now this is not the look-at-me behavior of the religious hypocrite, the narcissist who wants to be the center of attention and who wants to be seen and praised by others. It is the quiet and humble way of those who want to live with integrity and with simplicity in the Lord's ways. And the transparent life is not a life without blemish. It is indeed a life with blemish but it is an honest life. Deeds done in God's light include deeds of confession and deeds of repentance. Jesus says, just as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up so that whoever believes in him will have eternal life. And we heard a part of the story of the serpent in the wilderness read before us this morning how when the children of Israel were being bitten by poisonous snakes and they cried out to Moses who cried out to God and God said, make a serpent, make an image of a serpent and hold it up before the people. And Moses made a bronze serpent, held it up before the people and whenever they looked at that serpent, they were healed of their snake bites. Astonishing. They had to see the very thing that was killing them in order to be healed. They were made well by looking at an image of the very thing that was killing them. When Jesus is lifted up on a cross, we see at once the thing that kills us and the one who saves us. We gaze upon the sins of our life. We gaze upon the sins of the world. There is no hiding place at the foot of the cross. The darkness of the cross casts an interrogating light upon our souls. We look at the cross, we know that Christ dies there for us while we are yet sinners. Yet that fact, the fact that he dies because of our sins, a fact from which we would rather hide, is only one side of the cross. We are drawn to the cross. We are drawn to Christ on his cross, not because he judges us with condemnation there, but because he judges us there with grace. He does not condemn us. Indeed, he loves us. Christ dies for us while we are yet sinners. That proves God's love for us. In the name of Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen.
John goes to great lengths to say this. For God so loved the world, loved the world, that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him may not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send the son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved. However reprehensible we and our deeds may appear in the light of Jesus' cross, we are not condemned there. We are forgiven. We are pardoned. For by grace we have been saved through faith. And that faith is not of ourselves. It is a gift of God, lest anyone should boast. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which are to be our way of life. Resurrection follows crucifixion. In the light of that great dawn, there's a light that shines in the darkness. And just as Kathy said in the children's sermon this morning, the darkness cannot scare the light away. By grace, we have the courage and the confidence to confess, to live transparent lives, To believe in Christ is to believe this, to know this in the very depths of our soul. It is to know that he does not condemn us. John speaks of those who do not believe in Christ as being condemned already. This is not to say that those who reject Jesus are condemned by Jesus. It is to say that they do not understand, they do not accept that they participate in his death and that he does not condemn them for it. They either do not understand their need for forgiveness, they do not see their need for forgiveness, or, this is more likely, they somehow do not believe they can be forgiven. In either case, their failure to embrace forgiveness means that they condemn themselves The very thing they fear is the very thing they bring upon themselves. Fear of condemnation leaves them paralyzed. They dare not come clean before God or one another or themselves. They are afraid. But that is not the gospel. The gospel is that we are forgiven. And in that forgiveness, we can own our sins. We can feel the heartbreak of them, and we can let them go. Martin Luther wrote to Philip Melanchthon, August 1521, and he says to his good friend and colleague, If you are a preacher of grace, then preach a true, not a fictitious grace. For if grace is true, you must bear a true, not a fictitious sin. God does not save people who are only fictitious sinners. Be a sinner and sin boldly. But believe and rejoice in Christ even more boldly. For he is victorious over sin, death, and the world. If you are a preacher of mercy, do not preach an imaginary mercy, but true mercy. If the mercy is true, you must therefore bear the true, not imaginary sin. God does not say those who are only imaginary sinners, be a sinner and let your sins be strong. But let your trust in Christ be stronger and rejoice in Christ who is the 
victor over sin, death, and the world. Now, Luther is not advocating that we should go out and sin boldly. What he is advocating is that we acknowledge boldly that we are sinners. We acknowledge that with a bolder confidence in the grace of God. Charles Wesley said this in his wonderful hymn, I Want a Principle Within. I want a principle within of watchly, godly fear, a sensibility of sin, a pain to feel it near. I want the first approach to feel of pride or wrong desire, to catch the wandering of my will and quench the kindling fire, kindling fire. From thee that I no more may part, no more thy goodness grieve, the filial awe, the fleshly heart, the tender conscience give. Quick as the apple of an eye, O God, make my conscience. Awake my soul when sin is nigh, and keep it still awake. Almighty God of truth and love, to me thy power impart. The mountain from my soul remove, the hardness from my heart. O may the least omission pain my reawakened soul, and drive me to the blood again which makes the wounded whole. Wesley is bold to pray for a tender conscience, for an awakened soul, for a sensibility to sin, a pain, not just for sins done in the past, but for those that approach. Wesley wants to see it coming in order to do something about it. He prays for a tender conscience, an honesty, Wesley is confident that sin can be overcome in this world as well as the next. And he knows that the victory is God's, not ours. For by grace we have been saved through faith in that not of ourselves. He calls for an exposed, open life, a life of simple trust in God's goodness and God's mercy. This kind of life must be lived in solitude. It must be lived in those private moments when we are before God. And we are bold to say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I give you thanks for your grace. And such a life must be lived not in isolation. It must be lived in solitude, but not in isolation. It must be lived in community. To live in the light is to live honestly before one another. It is to live with the knowledge that we are loved. And in that, to be the very ones God has made us to be, warts and all, imperfections, yes, but grace that is greater than all our sin. We sing a simple hymn this morning. It is one of my favorites, and I'm so pleased that we've got all these great voices up here to help us sing it. I hope you will join in. The hymn this morning is, I Want to Walk as a Child of the Light. It is almost a childlike hymn. And I hope our children who heard from Kathy this morning about light will just hear these words and join in with us 
as we sing together number 206.